because what I know to be true is when you simplify it and when you can relate it to somebody, it has to make sense from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And until it makes sense for you inside, not all of it clicks for you. Mm, I think that's true for sure. And it, it takes you being able to validate yourself, acknowledge yourself, approve yourself. And also it just takes other people to listen so that you feel understood and that you're not trying to push away this thing that everybody's saying like, oh, you're this, you're that or whatnot. It's just, you're just feeling something and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be good or bad or anything. It's a feeling. Yeah. I mean, may it, may it be so that people can learn how to do that. That's really, it's a, it's a, it's a super important skill to just be able to sit with feelings for sure with other people's feelings, not, not feel like you have to fix them or do something or give them advice, but just to hold, just to hold space for that. It's really, it's really critical because that release is, it's very much part of something that we need as humans, you know, to be able to, to, to be able to transform emotion, you know? So, yeah. And, and I, I mean, obviously there's different ways you can do that with a journal or you know by yourself but it's very powerful when you can do that with someone else it's very healing you know witnessing brings that somatic feeling that a lot of us didn't get when we were children that that kind of can I just be raw in my emotions and you're Mm. not going to shut it down or I'm going to feel rejected yeah super healing very empowering yeah yeah Mm. and and then you trust yourself that I can feel whatever way and if other people feel un- inconvenienced or feel, mm. you know, they get reactive, that's not my part. That's their part. Mm. I have to be true to what I'm feeling. Well, I think something that, yeah, totally something that's been really um, important for me on my journey that I'm still really learning as a, like someone who's the, you know, had a lot of tra- trauma as a, as a young person. And I, you know, moved through that with therapeutic help, et cetera. I mean, one of the things for me has been really connecting to my feelings because a lot of how I survived was to disassociate, you know, was, and, and then also seeing the ways that I, and, and meditation has helped me with this to see how I judge my feelings that I'll have a feeling and I'll be like, Oh, I shouldn't be having that feeling. And then I'll discard it. And it's so, it's so important to like be able to just sit with and realize like, no, you know, it's a feeling it's valid. It doesn't mean I have to act on it. That does, that would be bad, you know, but the feeling in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's something that can tell me about myself. It can, it's something I can learn from and to just so quickly dismiss it because I, and and to squash it and say, I'm not supposed to be, you know, judging it, not supposed to be feeling that it's like really cutting off like a lot of um, space that I can learn from in terms of who I am and, and how to really even, you know, relate to other people. So yeah, like as an adult, mature person, like healthy in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, you know, this, this, world and its illusions of child to adult, all of a sudden, it's like, actually, if you look, it's an experience. And depending on what people experienced, if they're not connecting their emotions, they're trying to do the adult thing. Yet, if they're not able to relate with themselves or feel Mm -hmm. certain things, that disconnect is there. Um, I'm just going to introduce the podcast because we just Sure, sure. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Adrian. I so appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you, Natalie. Should I call you Natalie? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. How is your heart doing? Mm. My heart's really full right now because I just finished uh, like two back-to-back really deep conversations. I think you might have even been at a piece of one yesterday where I was in conversation with some other um, uh, death care workers. And that was really um, deep, beautiful conversation that wove all kinds of things together. And then today I was invited to be in conversation with um, a group of people in London uh, under the aegises of uh, Culture Declares Emergency, which is around uh, climate change work that uh, for the, the cultural sphere. I got invited by a really amazing writer, poet, uh, activist, Zena Edwards, to be on a, in, in a discussion. It really wasn't a panel. And the other people were just so beautiful and everybody was leading with their creativity. And yeah, so my heart feels just really full um, and really thankful for all the, the opportunities that I've had to, um, uh, to just be in conversation about what we're all doing and being discovering what other people are doing. And it gives me a lot of yeah, just energy and inspiration to to keep moving along and, and doing the service work that I'm doing at this point. Yeah. What can you thank COVID for? Mm, wow, that's a great question. Well, I'll say one thing as a, a end of life doula, what I have seen is more and more people coming to a deeper understanding of their mortality, of thinking of mortality in the context of community, thinking of just grieving, holding that space in a different way is is the best way I would put it. Of course, it's like, you know, it's really, really hard in this. And I think we're, we haven't even begun to understand the collective trauma that we're passing through and that the world, the larger world is still passing through as things are opening up here where I am in California. I'm, I'm thankful for that because I feel like in white North American culture, there's a lot of denial around death. And I see it as connected to the separation from nature that we're not recognizing death as part of life cycles. And so I feel like that's come, it's definitely come up more that there's been, I mean, that whole thing of the world stopping, how powerful is that? Just realizing things like, oh, you can just stop evictions. Um, oh, we can, you know, like there's things that we can do that nobody would have thought we could do. So including just seeing money as an illusion, like just, to, you know, the way that the coal and gas prices went to the negative, a bunch of things. It felt like there was like a crack kind of, you know, a little bit of a crack that we could, and and hopefully enough people kind of you know, got a hold on that or noticed it or whatever to really, you know, begin of some really of what, you know, what's called hegemony or like that overarching umbrella that we sometimes can't see outside of. It feels like that was cracked open a bit in terms of some of these things that we know are illusions, but we often think of as like real because they govern our lives, even though they're illusions. I think the event last night was called It Matters How We Go. It was very interesting to hear the different perspectives and different things that you don't hear in the main kind of stream conversations. Yet those that are, you know, that experience grief, it's like there there must be a different way that we can do this. Can you explain what uh, 
you called it a grief, a grief doula or a death doula. What's the proper term for it? Yeah. So there's a few terms. People call them death doula, death doulas. Other people call it end of life doula. So basically uh, death, as we know, it is uh, the way that our culture looks at it um, is often as just a medical uh, event. <laughs> and we know anyone that has accompanied someone through death, have been close to death, has uh, been close to even the death of a pet, et cetera you know that it's much more than that. It is an emotional, spiritual, it has community impacts. It has, there's engagement around legacy. There's so many other aspects to what that passage is, what that threshold is that you're moving through. Um, And so there's an understanding of that and that there aren't really people to assist with that in the larger culture. Um, so it's this, it, and, and so basically what we do is anything that's not medical, um, that's assisting with death and with that process. And so that's everything and not every death doula does all of these things, but it's, it's within the, the aegis of what death doulas do. Um, and some specialize on in different areas or different phases, but it's everything from what you might call death planning, or like just really thinking through conversing, getting your affairs in order, assisting with all the thinking through that that takes. So you're, you're not a lawyer that's helping with the paperwork, but you, you are assisting with like working through all the various issues that might come up and that you might be thinking about and, um, and also planning for what you want um, if you're able to live uh, through and, and come to the end of your life and you have any choices coming up with what those choices might be. What is that best, you know, death, that process, look, who's there, where am I, uh, what support do I need, what support do I want, who do I not want there, uh, all of that. So that's the death planning. Then there's definitely sometimes we get called in by families and we can assist with the actual them moving through the actual process of death itself. So that's everything from supporting um, a vigil um, for someone who's dying so that they're not alone, uh, creating rituals for the community, the family, the person to allow them to let go engaging with, uh, uh, connecting them with services that they need around, uh, you know, planning for green um, burial or, you know, whatever other services that they might need. So assisting with that. And then on the other end of the person passing, assisting, you know, then the family, the community with whatever uh, rituals or grieving transformative process, including uh, supporting um, families going through having a home funeral uh, including um, grieving, uh, not uh, where you take the place in any way of like a, a proper grief counselor, or gr- you know, but, but you're a lot of times what we're doing is also assisting people with their thinking and helping them understand what resources, re- what resources are available. Yeah. It's really beautiful work and it's really um, very uh, sacred. Like part of it is, you know, death is the bookend to birth. And we know, again, if you've been through a birth and, you know, I mean, it's crazy and it is involves medical and the body, but it also is so much else. I mean, it's such a profound experience and death really has that same sacred space. And so really being able to hold and nurture and support communities to be able to learn how to uh, support and hold and nurture that space. I believe it was in the 80s, uh, the pandemic when the AIDS crisis was here. What led you into that? 
Well, I'm queer and uh, and so and I'm an artist and I lived in New York City. And if you know anything about early experience of AIDS, no one knew what was going on. No one knew how it was contracted. Uh, it was devastating. People were getting, um, you know, seriously ill within a very short period of time. And there was not the uh, worldwide, you know, embrace and knowledge and, you know, understanding that existed with this pandemic. It was very much because it primarily affected uh, what were then called homosexuals and IV drug users and Haitians and basically marginalized people. It was ignored. It was not attended to by the medical society, you know, uh, institutions. And people were, in many cases, uh, cast out of their families, either because many cases people were not out at that time. And so their process of getting sick was even like merged with their process of coming out to their family. And they were not, sadly, always embraced by their families. And so I was a young person then. You know, we all just rose to the occasion to, to help one another, to become family for each other to support each other at that time that I saw that I had a capacity for being present uh, in the face of death, um, which I also saw that not everyone did, that some people were overcome with emotions or couldn't handle, you know, the intensity or couldn't handle seeing someone so sick or, you know, just all the things that came up. And I, I got a sense, I got a glimpse of my capacity that I had to just be be present with that. And that stayed with me. And then I had the honor to be able to be present with a number of, with a number of other people as they passed. And that remained that understanding that seeing that, oh, I have this capacity. When I first heard the word death doula, I was like, oh, I guess I think that's what I am. And so it's really, you know, it's like a calling in a way. Um, And I've heard of other people that have also heard similarly heard the term or immediately understood like, oh, I have the ability to do that. So it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting space. I do think other people can cultivate that capacity, but it is something that I feel really uh, called to do and that I have a, and I I feel honored, you know, honored to do. I feel like it is a really um, uh, sacred um, moment and passage and so many things uh, come to the fore in that process and get spotlighted and get highlighted about who we are as humans that, it's an important time to be able to be present. Do you think you know where that capacity came from? Well, circling back to a little bit of what we talked about before you introduced the podcast, we talked a little bit about, or I was referring to some early trauma experience. And I do think that there's a way that that prepared me for crisis in general. And I think the other thing was, is it was just, I really was able to see the, the beauty in, in the situation. One thing I saw really clearly is the way that as people are passing, that they move from the physical into the spirit, into spirit. And there's this incredible time period where the person's becoming more and more like their spirit is just so big. It's hard to explain. And so I think something about being able to like, key into the beauty and the, um, that connection and not be overwhelmed by, you know, the smells or the grief or the emotion, you know, the other things and be able to just be present with what is. So that's the other piece is, and, and that's something I've honed as an adult, as a meditator, as someone who's like, part of it is just being with what is and not being in that place of fixing or changing or needing to do anything. And that's the instinct for a lot of people, including, of course, the medical profession is 
this is happening and we need to do something to prevent it. And when you're really staring at death, there is nothing you can do to prevent it. Um, and, and really it just is like opening to it. How do we make peace with it? How do we even, you know, embrace it as it comes And in our culture, it's seen as a failure or you lost the fight or all the language around that is so sad. Um, it, it really, it doesn't really honor what that, what that process is and all that death can teach us, you know? So I think I was, yeah, like I said, I was just able to really see and embrace and, and honor the beauty within that from, from a young age. How do you help people process the energy out of their body with the grief? Well, there's different kinds of grief and grief shows up in really different ways, depending on, you know, the person and the death. And so there's definitely not one way to do that. One thing I will say is that I believe very strongly and I've witnessed and seen that assisting someone and being present with them through this process can really help a community, help a person on the other end in that grief process. And so that's part of how I actually help is to help people be able to be present in that space because there is so so much that can happen if you're able to wash a body afterwards or you're able to just, you know, walk the person up to where you're leading them that that actually assists your grief on the other end. And so I would say part of my assistance with grief is just like opening that space, encouraging, supporting people to be able to show up in a way that they want to, you know, and a lot of that is about informing people and making sure that they're, they feel secure and that, you know, existing within their fears, answering questions, um, just being present, seeing, being sensitive to dynamics that are happening you know, um, that's, that's a big part of, of what they do involving people. Like I said, there's, there's rituals that can be created or can be called upon, you know, if there's a ritual background already that the person is part of, uh, that can ease, you know, ease those transitions. What I do appreciate is when I asked you, is there a process? Everything is always different. That's why we have diversity. And when people come with this kind of prescription thing, it's like, uh, no, we're all different individuals. We all have different cultures. We all live in different parts of the world. So the way that that transition, that grief is going to come up, it's going to be a sacred way for everybody. Well, and every, thank you. Yeah. And every death is different as well. So the way that death and hits you in one instance, it can hit you totally differently later. And both because you're growing and changing, but also, you know, maybe you're ready then to open up to it. So, I mean, you have people that realize when a pet dies that they haven't mourned their parent from their childhood. Or I do think grief groups, like a group where you're able to, I mean, I know that they're not for everybody, but I think they can be super useful in part because it's just a space where you can just say whatever you need to, you know, and, and, uh, and people, you know, other people around us are friends that maybe it's too hard sometimes for them to sit with us or, especially if grief goes on for a long time, who get bored with it or can't, can't hang with it. It's, you know, it's really helpful having other people that are, you know, on a parallel journey as well. And also the grief. Yeah. And the grief of, you know, losing a child is quite different from, 
you know, losing a parent or, you know, there's different, different types or a spouse, you know, long-term spouse, et cetera. You know, like you said, there's certain signals that we can see. It's like, oh, you're going through some grief and okay. So how can I hold space for you? So your defense mechanisms don't come up Mm -hmm. and that you feel safe to lean into what you're feeling and feel it because it's intense. It's overwhelming. It sucks a lot of times. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And it actually comes up. It, it can have a physical, I mean, people tend to think of it, oh, grieving emotional, but it can have physical um, manifestations. It has definitely has cognitive manifestations where people literally can't think straight. And so it's very, very serious for us to be able to work and help each other to, to process it, process it. Um, and that's, one thing that I do hope people take away from, you know, this, this time was just, if you were able to slow down at all, that necessary space of just slowing down, you know, I I do know a lot of people, if they weren't on the front lines of the healthcare system or, you know, other, other types of frontline work um, were able to, you know, just slow down because you couldn't be as busy, you know, because things were shut down and able to see, oh, I actually need more time to process this or, you know, really notice those things. And I, again, I'm hoping that that continues to resonate for people, even as, as we, as we start to open up back again, something that I also helped to create and initiated and then helped to produce during the uh, COVID crisis is something called the artist grief deck. What that is, is a kind of toolkit. We recognize that uh, I was working with people that were working with um, in New York City, volunteer organizations aiding disasters. And when New York went through this, uh, you know, horrific surge of COVID in this back in the spring, last spring, one thing that they noticed that was an unmet need of the community is was for collective grieving because people couldn't access their faith communities like they usually could. They couldn't access funerals. They couldn't access each other to give each other a hug. And so um, I came up with, uh, and in this artist working group that we had, that they turned to artists saying, well, maybe you guys would know what to do. And we ended up making this toolkit that's called the Artist Grief Deck. And what it is, we, we did a, a crowdsourcing of, from all different people that had experienced grief in different ways. And we asked them for both artists for artwork related to grief, and then also prompts that were simple kind of action oriented things that could be done that helped help that person. And we sourced them. We got, you know, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of entries. And from that, we curated them into like these 58, you know, cards. Um, And on one side, they have a very beautiful piece of artwork, all different artwork. And then on the other side is uh, this one of these prompts. And the prompts are from all different people, from all different cultures, all different voices, many, many different ways of, of processing grief. And that's one of the things that's been so beautiful for me to see and part of the toolkit that the the grief deck is important that I feel like it's important for is that it comes from so many different directions and what will work for one person in one situation is not what will work for another person. It is such a peculiar process to move through. And I think having this kind of source from so many different backgrounds is important. Also using the art, the way that the art opens you up into like a kind of cracks, cracks open something that cognitively, maybe you're not going to be able to get to, you know, it can do something else. I think there's some really beautiful things that are able to happen. So that was something I was involved in making happen that, that has 
now it's gone to all different countries and we're doing a youth and, and, and a child grief deck that's really supporting children through grief. Cause obviously that's its own very particular, you know, process and different at different cognitive behavioral, you know, developmental levels. I think that grief work, that understanding of how to work with grief uh, is, is really important thing for us in our culture right now. And I, I hope that more people are going to feel called to step into that. Where can people connect with you? Well, I'm on Instagram as uh, at Ika Tarot. That's a really good spot. I can engage with anything about the death to the practice, my Ika Tarot practice. It's just E-C-O-T-A-R-O-T. I mean, I have an email. It's my name, adrian.yenik, A-D-R-I-E-N-E dot J-E-N-I-K at gmail.com. So they can, you're certainly welcome to email me, or if you just search under Arizona State University, I am a professor there. So you can look for me um, in Arizona State University and you'll find me. I want to thank you very much for being so open. And I, I hope you'll come back to the podcast in a later date so that we can talk more in depth of other discussions. I appreciate the work that you are bringing forth in the world. Mm. This it's sacred work that you're doing and it's warrior work. So I appreciate it. You are making that difference in the world. It's one in a million and you are touching way more than that. So thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Such great questions. And thank you for the work that you're doing as well to, to bring these conversations to light. I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Remember to be kind to yourself. Okay. You too. <laughs> Thank you for making it to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found any value in this conversation, I ask you to help us grow by subscribing to the Lift Oneself podcast and more sharing it out to others. The more that we have conversation and dialogue that are honest and open, that is when we can remove the stigmas around mental health. Until next time, remember, be kind and gentle with yourself. You matter. 